Okay, welcome back to the Cairo London podcast. Today I have Catherine Quinn and Tim Button who are not only sport-mad chiropractors down in Bristol at Cleve Chiropractic, but at their young age of 30s, shall we call them, uh, they are both the president and treasurer of the British Chiropractic Association. So they uh, accepted my invitation for a little chat, um, and we had a great time, really. I first met these guys during a CPD ski seminar in Austria that the BCA arranged, and uh, we had such a cool time over there that uh, we forged a pretty good friendship and lots of crazy things have happened over the last few years. I haven't seen them that much, and it was great to catch up with them. Um, they obviously helped navigate our way through the whole global pandemic. Um, but, you know, I didn't really want to make it too political, but I did want to sort of get a couple of questions in there about how we could work together better as a uh, profession, um, because there are, I think, currently five different associations in the UK. Uh, I'm a member of both the UCA and the BCA, and I'd like to try and help us work a little bit closer together. Um, they shared some thoughts on that. But really, they started off by talking about how they uh, got themselves into chiropractic and especially sports chiropractic. And it makes for quite a nice little discussion. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'd like to thank, obviously, my podcast sponsor thegroundcoffeesociety.com is where you'll find them and uh, you can order coffee beans and pods uh, online to be delivered to your door and I did just that and sent the guys in Bristol a bag and a few pods from Ground Coffee Society and that's how we just sort of started off the conversation so I hope you guys are enjoying your coffee. Thank you very much. I, I thought I had a secret admirer at first, Craig, but uh, I was like, who's sending me this lovely coffee? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just sort of sent you it without a note or anything, and it would have just arrived on your doorstep unannounced, right? So <laughs> exactly. it, does, it does smell lovely. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, because you sent it to the clinic, which was good, and I said, oh, I think I know who that's from. And then, so that means everybody in our work thinks it's amazing too. So it's quite clever of you to do that. <laughs> hey, so I really hope you enjoy the coffee, and I'm sure it's going to help this conversation go down very smoothly. But uh, look, let's just have a bit more of a conversation around a few different things. And can you help me by setting the scene? Where are you guys actually positioned at the moment? We're currently sat in a BCA headquarters, which is my kitchen diner, which is about uh, 10 minutes away from clinic. And anyone worrying about the social distancing, we are one household bubble, uh, little little old me on my own has uh, been kindly accepted by the Button family for my uh, support bubble. So uh, we're all good there. <laughs> so have you guys been working this morning or, you know, what have you been up to? Yeah. Yeah. So we've been, um, we started, yeah, started a nice little 8.20 start, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Not too bad. And then flat out seeing patients till 12 and then we sort of rush home to our home, to the BC headquarters mm -hmm. kitchen, and then try and eat quickly, you know, and then uh, and then pop on, drink our coffee, and see you. That's what we've done. That's today's that's today's day. And in a normal week, that's uh, on a Friday, we'll quite often be kind of juggling that, you know, morning of clinic with then meetings and work um, for, for all sorts of things on lunchtime. So this is a this is a nice change to the usual usual routine we have. Yeah, I'd cancel a couple of things. <laughs> and I said, no, this time we're going to try and keep this meeting. Exactly. <laughs> 
been keeping up to uh, speed with what I've been doing with this podcast, but it all started off as a little bit of a lockdown project, and I started interviewing all the chiropractors at Cairo London, and then I just liked doing it so much, I thought I'd just start inviting some clients of mine and other people of note um, through both in our profession and outside of our profession, and it's been quite fun. So why don't we, like I did with all the chiropractors uh, in our group, um, start with you guys and go back to the very beginning and talk to us about um, how you got into chiropractic yourselves. So um, over to you. Journeys of becoming a chiropractor. I'll let, I'll let Mr. Button start with that one. He started before mine. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, as Catherine likes to point out, a little bit older than Catherine. Um, but, you know, that happens to the best of us. My journey to being a chiropractor... Um, Usual thing, dad had a bad neck, then went everywhere, couldn't find anyone to fix it after a year, found a really good chiropractor who um, told him how he was going to fix it, and then fixed it. And then uh, my dad's a science teacher, told me, said, you know, this is the sort of thing you'd like to. And I said, yeah. And I went and had a look and went, yeah, this is what I like. So I literally went straight um, from doing A-levels straight into doing chiropractic at 18, did the five-year course at the ACC, loved it. And then I thought, you know, what I need to do is start, um, you know, working for myself from day one because, you know, I know it all. So why, why would I ever work for anybody else? Um, and with a huge heap of confident naivety, I just um, lived at home with my parents for free whilst um, my local rugby club gave me a room for free as long as I treated the first team. Um, and Cleve Chiropractic, as the clinic is, has evolved to today, was was born back in 2003. And then very luckily, I, I, I managed to get a job in my first few months working for, for Bath Rugby Club. Um, and then through Bath Rugby Club, I got a job working for Bristol Rugby Club. And through Bristol Rugby Club, we shared a ground with Bristol Rovers. I got a job working for them. So within my first year, like a first season of sport, I was, I was working for three out of the four sort of biggest um, professional sides in Bristol. And, and I managed to learn... A huge amount. The funny thing is, you sort of think, "Well, that's that's really lucky." But the the, re- the reality is, it is really lucky. But you 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 learn so much from working with other brilliant sports professionals, other physios, the doctors. What it's like to be on a team bus. What it's like to be on a side of a pitch. What it's you know strapping, taping, bruises, cuts. You know everything you could imagine that you you get to experience, and then you get to experience the latest in kit. You know, like you become a some of you chiropractors love kit, don't they? But you, but the first time I ever saw a laser being used was probably about 2005 when they first had the, the original lasers being used and, and, and all sorts of crazy other bits and pieces. We were doing we were doing um, like these little MRI um, sort of things to try and uh, speed up the healing of, of bones being broken and all sorts of stuff. We'd, you know, you're on the cutting edge of what's happening. And, it's, and that's, um, yeah, that was really, really exciting. Um, and that's how I became a chiropractor. How about you? Hmm. Um, similar journey, but more for my myself with needing to see a chiropractor. So back in um, 2005, four maybe, um, I was competing in karate and I had gotten kicked in the head. Didn't let them do that again. I kept my guard up better after that and uh, had had a bit of neck and jaw issues. So was sent off to see a you know, family friend who's a, who's a chiropractor. And just thought, gosh, this is pretty amazing. I was studying um, sports science at the time, um, a nice um, light schedule to allow me to train and compete at that point. 
So, um, yeah, saw a chiropractor for that and was just blown away by, you know, how amazing the impact that that was on, you know, firstly fixing those issues I had, but then outlining a lot of other things that really helped to improve and like um, enhance my training a lot more. So um, from there, my kind of my plan of right finishing sports science, retire from karate, go and do something like physiotherapy quickly escaped my brain and I was like no I'm going to be a chiropractor this is much cooler this is uh this is where I'm meant to be hands-on and yeah it kind of started from there so once I then went off to the ACC um did uh four years there and all throughout that time kept on working and kind of volunteer basis as a effectively a sports therapist with lots of local sides so I kept my work in with um Harlequins and with the kind of local community teams both in union and league did that all the way through the ACC which kind of built me up with a, a really strong kind of little black book of contacts so that by the time I then graduated um went straight into uh, a job with London Irish uh, rugby club when they were based in or still based in Sunbury did a couple of years there, eventually um, kept knocking on the door of Tom Greenway until one of his associates kindly left and set up their own practice and uh, kept myself just in his uh, in his side vision. And he uh, thankfully took me on. And so I was able to then work in a clinic that was, you know, really embedded in that kind of sports chiropractic world, which helped me, I think, at London Irish. And from there, ended up at, at QPR and then a few years later down the line, met this one and uh, needed a move out of London. So why not go and work with your best mate when uh, when there's a lovely job opportunity there and a few other things kind of in the pipeline for, for this area. So, yeah, similar, real passion for sport. Hey, that's a really cool journey, guys. Uh, thanks for sharing that um, pretty amazing stuff you've done with sport and um, chiropractic. But look, uh, Catherine, you kind of downplay that karate thing a little bit. Weren't you like uh, top of your game with karate at some point? I was pretty handy. Um, So, yeah, back in 2007 and 2008, I was um, a double world champion in in karate under the Tiger World Championships. So that's for kumite, which is your, um, your sparring, your fighting effectively, and for kata, which is when you're sequencing your moves and kind of showing a good technique good form and it's your imaginary opponents across all sorts of angles so they were the two disciplines I competed in back then and yeah kind of once I then finished my sports science degree had won the world championships twice I thought right let's uh karate is not going to be the forever career I feel I've definitely reached a reached a peak so I thought I'd uh yeah go get a real job and uh, train in something I loved as well so you a fan of Cobra Kai, you know, that's Netflix crazy uh, thing that we've all been watching through lockdown. You know what? I am. <laughs> it is. I, I personally haven't watched it. I have traumatic experiences from my housemates when I was at university making me watch Karate Kid before I did any major tournament. And I got so annoyed with it. I've almost got this kind of block against karate kid now i was uh put off back then but you know what we were talking about this with a patient the other day and i probably should watch cobra kai <laughs> i love it it's great it's like going back to the 80s but now it's brilliant yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I sat down with my 11 year old daughter and watched karate kid the other day and it was like the best thing i've done for like a long time it's awesome it's still great now i do have a cobra kai fancy dress outfit that i wore a few years ago at a party so 
I kind of I did it for that. All <laughs> oh, right. Hey Tim, that was a pretty cool story though, from taking your locker room Cairo job into building a pretty massive clinic that you have up and running now. So talk us through a little bit of that story again. Well, um, yeah, like I say, I, I, it was a hell of a confident naivety. I did not know what I didn't know. I literally had this strange thought that you know, like, well, and it was tr- it was true, but you you know, God, I I glossed over a few things that I thought that what's the point in the I always wanted to run and own my own clinic. So what's the point of working for someone else and then getting five years down the line, having debts and houses and cars and life, and then having to start again? Why don't you just start from scratch when you've got nothing at the beginning? And you think, well, yeah, that's logical, Tim. But you know, it's it's a it's a, it's a bit of a funny way of doing it. But like I say, thankfully, um, having the um, the guidance of really experienced doctors and physios who are really big guiders in, in my career, um, uh, that they became sort of my my clinic owners ahead of me, if you sort of mean. So I, I learned I learned so much about how to treat shin splints or or strange other complaints um, or how they treated, you know, you know, I was like, well, I know how I could fix a rib problem in, in five minutes. How do you treat a rib problem in five minutes? And then you sort of, then you can add that. And you, I just, you just steal so much stuff and juicy treatment guidance and, and how to examine people and how to treat people from, from those guys. And that enabled me to become, I'd say, I, I realistically think you become a lot more experienced in a shorter period of, in a shorter period of time. So I've always said, if you've done five years of work, but you've seen a huge number of patients working a huge variety of injuries, well, you know, is that more experience than someone who's done 30 years of work, but only seen five people a week, um, only, and it's only ever been neck pain or something. Mm. So there's a lot to be said with experience about how you how you um, set your career up and volunteering and doing extra bits of work in sport is such a fantastic way of developing experience so all of most of my associates at some point have gone and worked from the local club where I started at Cleve and on, on the pitch side they have to then go and learn about um, you know strapping up an ankle they also have to learn about um, cutting you know having a giant cut on someone's head and how to quickly check if he's you know, concussed or not concussed, and does he? Does the because the game continues? Can you can can this person continue? Should he come off? How? You, what's your acute diagnosis like compared to what we deal with mainly in the clinic, which is more subacute mm. or, or or even chronic? And so those those guys in one year of doing pitch side at a local rugby club have gained a huge amount of experience, in my opinion, and makes makes them more confident and stronger chiropractors um, uh, for the future. I'd say one of having come into the clinic, obviously only in the last year, I think, you know, going from a clinic, um, which again, very established and, you know, has built up in its own way, seeing the difference between the way that community is established around a clinic compared to how the community is established around Tim's clinic, it all leads back from that kind of locker room setup that you talk about, you know, patients that that I'm seeing you know they've all got you know stories about Tim from 15 years ago and you know how embedded you know he became into that kind of that Cleve rugby club community and the you know Mangotsville community around it I think it adds real strength to the identity of the clinic and it's really interesting coming in with kind of a fresh pair of eyes you may not see it so much because one of the things I tell people is if you want to build a good clinic stay in the same place so Cleve rugby club is in Mangotsville then I moved to a, um, a shop next door to Tesco's, which is also a little Tesco Express in, in Mangotsfield. Then I've just moved down the road to a bigger place in Mangotsfield. So I've kept in the same area for 17 years. 
Um, and, and so, and, and again, to answer your question fully, I, I, I worked by myself with a mobile phone on my own, essentially overworked, doing 80-hour weeks at Cleve Rugby Club for about seven years. So eventually I'm like, I can't, I can't keep working these hours. I need a receptionist. Okay. Um, and I, um, I took a deep breath. I saved up a, a, a couple of quid and, and I took on a shop with a reasonable rent and I squeezed four little rooms in there for the future, hopefully, to hopefully I'll be able to fill those four rooms. <laughs> and I took a receptionist on and you go from having £5,000 a year overheads to fifty grand a year overheads and you're, and you're like, oh, I, need to, <laughs> I need to make sure I'm earning enough money to, cut, to pay for this. And, and sure enough, it developed nicely and the demand, the demand was there, which was great. And I did it in um, 2010, you know, in the middle of the recession. Yeah. So, so I did, and I just did, so then I, I had a 10-year lease and I grew it um, and I really developed the practice and I got more chiropractors on board. Then I opened like a physio center just over the road. Um, so about 30 meters away, but over the road. Um, and I developed the physio side of things. We had more of a gym as well to be a proper sports injury clinic with the gym side of it, not just treatment rooms. Um, and then the, de- the design would always be, there were two rented buildings. The design was always to be, have a have a singular building um, that was big enough to accommodate all of it, but expand again. So that's what I did over the last couple of years. And again, I managed to move in the middle of a pandemic this time. <laughs> You've got good timing. I, I, I can't help myself find the, the best times the best timings for me so what you've described there though mate is that you've become an overnight success in 17 years in 17 oh, years yeah an overnight <laughs> success in 17 years i'd say yeah that's about right yeah a lot bit of graft to get there but the clinic's brilliant now um and it's yeah i'm so pleased despite the pandemic and i mean it was frightening because i spent every penny i had all my personal money all my business money and we'd opened in november and closed in March <laughs> with COVID. And I was, I was still paying back bills. And I was, you know, my reserve, which is normally nice and healthy, was at its bare minimum. And that was exciting. So, Catherine, did you join the clinic around the same time? Yeah. So I'd made the decision probably, well, probably two years ago now um, to that I wanted to kind of move out of London, you know, head on to something new. Obviously, spending a lot of time chatting with Tim, kind of knew that on the horizon was this new kind of expanded clinic. And, yeah, we kind of came up with this opportunity that actually, you know, going into a bigger space, um, there'd be there'd be room for little old me to come along. Can I come? 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 this for years. Can I come? Can I come? So, so you're, uh, Catherine, you're still with QPR Football Club there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Still with QPR. It's a slightly longer commute now. Um but um, yeah, the last time I was in was just before Christmas with lockdown. It's all been a bit tricky yet again. But um, yeah, still kind of very much in contact and doing little bits and pieces with them here and there. And hopefully come the end of this lockdown, then uh, we can all get back to a bit, bit more normality. The boys are uh, kind of desperate to get their, <laughs> get their chiropractic back in again. But yeah, it was just before the lockdown. I started working the 6th of March, I think was my first day. So I managed two weeks with the new Cleve team. I think, I, you know who I feel most sorry for is more my poor patients at the Waldergrave, who I promised I was going to be going back and forth for for a couple of months. So I wasn't going to leave till May. And then all of a sudden, March, it was like, Baron, sorry, 
I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here. Hey, so let's just mix up the speed of this a little bit and uh, talk to you guys about your roles in the British Chiropractic Association. Uh, I've said this at the intro, but uh, Catherine, you're the president and Tim, you're the treasurer. Just talk us through how at your young ages you've taken over um, leadership at the BCA. Yeah. So I think, again, very similar stories, uh, a lot of coercion, a lot of, um, oh, it'll be fun. You'll, you know, yeah, just come and sit on the board you'll learn loads it will be um you know you can really contribute and so I did that for a year and um you know learned a huge amount in that first year I think just through when I was at university I was the kind of BCA rep so I did a lot of um kind of back and forth on the kind of student front yeah from there I kind of was already on the radar I suppose of the people who were kind of already on the board of the council and yeah they asked me to stand so after one year of kind of sitting on the board, it became apparent that someone needed to um, step up and take on the role of president. And uh, it was one of those situations where you look around and everyone else has stepped back and taken a seat and you're like, oh, that, that'll be me then, will it? <laughs> Is the honest truth. But I, uh, yeah, I was, I relished the opportunity. It was, um, it was something that I'd thought for future, but not for quite now. You'd, you'd done board work before the university? Yeah, so I'd, I was on the um, trustee board and the governor's board for um, a local university, St Mary's in, in Twickenham. So I'd kind of, I'd built up quite a lot of board experience before joining the, the BCA council. And so I think that very quickly became apparent to the people that were on the board. And so they thought, well, let's make use of that experience. And yeah, they, I was very much encouraged to, to step forward and, and take on the role. Do you guys want to talk us through then your biggest challenge of 2020? Um, and well, obviously, it's going to be the global pandemic. But do you want to just sort of talk us through how you guys dealt with the stresses and strains of uh, trying to lead the way with that? Yeah, that that was, you know, firstly, having just moved across the country, that was a big challenge for me at the beginning of 2020. And uh, yeah, then hit with that, at least it took me away from the, oh, gosh, my family is so far away. That quickly became a secondary issue. Didn't matter where anyone's family was by that point. But um, yeah, we were probably started I remember one of the first bits of work we did ahead of the pandemic was I was sat in um, Prague Airport on my way to or from one of the um, uh, World Cup races for um, a skeleton team, uh, the Norwegian and uh, Dutch team that uh, Tim and I kind of tag team supporting. So I'm sat in Prague Airport and um, Tim and I were on the phone sorting out, right, there's this thing called, you know, coronavirus. What is it? (laughs) And we started kind of googling and kind of working out what this all meant and from there it just very quickly snowballed into right this is a this is going to be a massive deal this is something that we're going to have to really get our heads into and from yeah mid-January really onwards we just did everything we could together with the you know the BCA team the the amazing staff team we have there to just work day and night quite literally to make sure that we could provide absolutely every bit of service and um, information and support to all of our members and I I hope that as a member I hope that that was something that you uh, you found very useful we were trying to work with as little information as everybody had at that time and try and give some clarity to it and I think that's the biggest thing really that came out of COVID was about clarity of information that was what we really wanted to get across for people. 
but the truth is we sat there day and so whenever when the lockdown hit um it was hot wasn't it It was sunny gorgeous weather and we sat we spent most of our time indoors i did sneak out a couple of times but we we spent most of our time indoors non-stop all day all night seven days a week taking because the data came out and it changed data came out and it changed data came out and it changed you had to constantly keep on top of all of the things and it's you know, giving people advice, you know, initially it was about closing, then it's about, then everything then turns about safety and, and reopening, of course, mm. where, where it had to, and then how to, how to reopen safely um, if you'd, if you'd closed during the pandemic. So it was um, constant support for members at the same time as constantly trying to work nonstop to make sure that we were in a safe place um, come the sort of end of that first batch. It's, it's funny, the webinar we did um, mid-May, I think it must have been, which was the kind of like, right, here you go, BCA members, this is your stuff, this is the work, go do your reading, you know, this is what you need to go and do in your clinic. We'd, you know, we'd spent so much time getting all of that, but we ended up opening Cleve Chiropractic up at least a week or two later than, than most clinics did because we spent so much time making sure everyone had the information but we hadn't actually done half of it for Cleve. So we then spent a very frantic few weeks um, changing chair covers and putting up screens and doing it for ourselves. Yeah, it was like certainly it was a frantic time. It was like uh, we're obviously all out there trying to navigate our way through this stuff and we had all sorts of different information being sort of given to us and you know you guys obviously gave the opinion to to close the clinics um but you know certainly your updates were very useful uh i was in the unusual position to be able to sort of sit there and get updates from the uca as well as you guys from the bca and try and work out what was best for our clinics but yeah look thanks very much for all that work and effort that you guys put into behind the scenes because it must have been hell um and even now, we're still dealing with little changes, you know, be it sort of a new lockdown or new terms of lockdown or PPE or whatever. You've got an updated framework coming your way. So uh, that was this week's task. That's coming out uh, very soon, probably today. Version three. <laughs> Version five. Five, yeah, <laughs> God. And then, and yeah, we're, we're working hard to, with, with vaccinations to help help members who want to get vaccinated, um, you know, good access, that, that, access, yeah. access that at the moment, please. You know, so we're working really, really hard at the moment. You know, COVID hasn't finished, mm. so there's there's constant. But the staff team at, at the BCA are incredibly good with yeah. these things. So they they do a lot of the hard work, and we um with with, with that particular bit currently. So we um we just give them the, our support and clinical input clinical where input it's guides. needed. But yeah, their little workhorses they've been incredible. Yeah, three three people doing the job of. 10. So give us a little bit of insight into what you think the future looks like for chiropractic in 2021. Eh? The future look like for chiropractic in 2021? Gosh, well, there's a question. I think I think for everyone, 2021 is going to be yet another year of, um, of change or it's going to be, um, you know, at least settling into the new normal, which I know is... Um, you know, is, is kind of an overused phrase, isn't it? But these new normals, I think, is going to be what settles in in 2021 so I think all of our focus is on that isn't it it's on you know we can look big picture we can look you know 10 20 30 years into the future for chiropractic but actually right now it's all of us as individuals trying to just suss out where we need to be how we need to be thinking 
And, you know, I think taking that in our stride is the first part of, uh, of 2021. Hey, we're certainly really grateful for all you guys have done. Um, certainly, and especially with probably liaising with uh, the government and the GCC and the, you know, the different uh, government bodies that uh, were required to be consulted to get us to the position to be able to practice safely and effectively. Um, but yeah, what, what else, what sort of other stuff have you learned through that whole process? Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting point that, so a lot of the work that we've committed to this year, I think has set chiropractic as a profession in really good stead moving forward, both for 2021 and into the future. So we've worked really closely with our counterparts at, you know, the osteopathy association, physiotherapy, podiatry, dentistry, you know, all of them on everything from, you know, Please don't leave out the self-employed in your grants, Mr. Chancellor. You know, that's where we started. Please help our small business owners who are doing everything they can. We started there and it's progressed through to PPE requirements, to risk assessments. We've been able to share the kind of best practice between all of these regulated professions. And I think those professions have now got a far, I say improved, and I mean that in terms of even if they hadn't got a negative view of chiropractic before, they they may not have understood us as a scaled up, grown up profession. And I think that because of the interaction we've been able to have with those um, organisations, they now see us as a, you know, a significant and vocal part of that healthcare picture. And we were really pleased to lobby with our um, private practice partners to kind of show the Department of Health how the private practice isn't isn't this kind of dark secret area in the corner that's, you know, only there to be private and earn money. We're here to provide a service that is actually much needed in society. And a lot of our members are reporting, I think the stats aren't in my head right now, but it was above 50%. I think it was around 60 to 80% of members who are seeing more patients who would traditionally go to their GP and they wouldn't seek private care. That route is just not there for them. And there is a huge crisis in the NHS regarding musculoskeletal care. And we're now seeing GPs, um, NHS physios, NHS podiatrists acknowledging and accepting that the private practice, including chiropractic, is a really legitimate and effective route for patients to take. And I think that that's only going to grow our credibility moving forward. And it's taken a huge amount of weight off the NHS. Mm. So right now, this is what the NHS needs. You know, our, our, our practitioners, our, our chiropractors, the physios, everybody, the osteos, um, taking the pressure off. If our patients aren't being seen with us, where do they go? What do they do? Do they bother the GPs? Do they bother A&E? Do they bother 111? So, yeah, we've got a huge role to play. In, uh, in in helping the general health of the UK. Yeah, so look, I was even on the phone to a pain consultant at the Chelsea Westminster Hospital here in London, and he was just talking me through how musculoskeletal stuff is really uh, considered not urgent, um, and they're really the wait list for some of these things uh, is super long. And you're right, it's sort of we're playing a massive role in sort of being able to help these guys because they've got nowhere else to go. You know, and even the things that we do really need the NHS to kind of step in on so you know those those ridiculous pain patients or those dead patients who do need the kind of you know nhs help you know you're doing all you can to maintain them but they need that extra little bit that we can't go into you know those patients are so low down the list as you say that they can't access that medical intervention that they may need so our job is to then just keep them topped up for as long as possible keep them as functional and as healthy as possible until they're able to access those things. Of course, you know, that's not the vast majority of our patients, but there are patients who we're 
you know, and there's one that sticks in my mind at the moment, you know, um, horrible kind of cervical radiculopathy. And, you know, he's on the waiting list for um, a nerve root injection. Now, in real times, you know, that would be, um, you know, I'm going with my London um, timeframes, you know, we'd be thinking six weeks, but I'm not sure if that's the same for, for Bristol. I'm told it's not. So even <laughs> if it was 12 weeks, let's say, you know, we're definitely now more like six months down the line and he's still waiting. And, you know, his 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 condition is is slowly worsening, but it's not worsening at the rate that it would without the care we can provide. So he's just delighted that we can help keep him where it is. And, you know, just keep on pushing for that intervention. But without us, where would that patient be? They'd still be the bottom of the waiting list and they'd be in a huge amount more pain and suffering than they than they need to be. Yeah, I think every clinic has a similar story across the UK, don't they? Um, but look, let's delve into a little bit more about how do you think the chiropractic profession can show a more sort of combined, unified front, uh, especially when sort of dealing with uh, like the health department or sort of government bodies? It's interesting, that angle. So if you speak with the kind of our equivalents across, you know, physiotherapy, dentistry, medicine, I don't think they would see it that way because they do see a kind of a strong front coming through, you know, predominantly with, with the BCA. And uh, we work very closely with our colleagues across the profession on issues which which we need to, you know, right at the start of the pandemic, there was um, a statement brought together by all um, all four associations in the UK around um, immunity. And we were able to make a really strong statement together that, you know, we were really proud to lead and bring together on behalf of the four. And, you know, I think that's just a perfect example of, right, when we need to do things that are pan profession just to show that there's no cracks in that, we can do that really effectively. And that's been going on for years and years. But, you know, our job right now is to make sure that those people who put their trust in us and their uh, their membership with us are supported. You know, philosophies and thought processes and all of that aside, none of that matters when it comes to making sure that that chiropractor, whoever they are, is well supported so that they can then deliver good and competent care to their patients. Because if the chiropractor feels safe and they've got all the right support, then the patient is then also in a much kind of happier set of hands, aren't they? Yeah, we from the outside. From sorry, great. From, from the outside looking in, um, the other professions and, and the general public see a really strong. It's, it's interesting, but they do see a really strong chiropractic voice in the media. So, so um, we just had the report back from the BCA's media team, and we, I think we had something like one hundred and fifty-seven million positive impressions about chiropractic within the UK within the year within twelve months. And these are, you know, radio, TV, um, um, newspapers, broadsheets, you know, um, on all papers, and and that that's what a lot of people see from the outside looking in. Don't you know? There are, there are you know, I'm sure there's different opinions at different places, but the the strong that that really really helps, mm-hmm. I think, give the chiropractic impression out to the public and also to other professions. And I think some of the professions might even say that they they sort of quite like the, the, you know our media, and I think they quite like it like to know how we do it i know <laughs> hey did you uh, did you clock that uh, telegraph article that we we're both interviewed for um back uh, back at the start of lockdown and i'm claiming to have coined the term posture pandemic was that yours yes yeah, so you did a lovely bit of media for us that was your one wasn't it 
appreciate that. It was brilliant. And, you know, as someone who's involved... Yeah, I mean, I was was like, hang on a minute. It's not a COVID corona pandemic. It's more like a posture pandemic that we're actually experiencing at the moment, (laughs) which actually kind of segues nicely into this other bit of um, stuff I wanted to talk to you guys about, and that's some of the research that you and the BCA have been looking into. For example, that stat that 40% of people who work from home actually do it from bed yeah that is right and it's um i was speaking with um oh gosh i can't remember the name i was on uh, bbc scotland um last week speaking about this and um lbc i think just before and it's yeah it's a huge stat isn't it 40 percent of people are reporting working from bed (laughs) and it's like wow you know and the reality of that is is incredible isn't it you've got you know, if, if you're in a household where homeschooling's going on, so the kitchen table is out of bounds, you know, your partner's maybe taken the office room and the desk there, where's left? If you don't have, you know, not every household has got multiple working spaces. So, yeah, a lot of people have taken to their bed. And you've probably seen some of the um, the press I've done around that, which is, right, if you're going to do it, I understand you, it's all you've got. I totally get that. Let's do it as well as we can, shall we? Let's make sure that you're not laying on your front your some of the stories laying on your front head up on the laptop let's you know let's think about that as as best we can but yeah it's such a scary stat isn't it yeah and then there was that other one that 57 percent move less in lockdown Yeah. yeah that one surprised me because there were a lot of people who took up um different activities so like we did couch to 5k very proud of ourselves and i'm still running you'll see me on strava uh you see me now you're holding me to account (laughs) and um yeah so a lot of people did those things but what stopped was some of the long commutes so those people who kind of would cycle to work or they'd you know i don't walk to the station and, and those things all of that dropped off so it's kind of yeah, it was just really interesting to see that although people may have taken on new habits, their day-to-day simple habits had kind of hit rock bottom. And they didn't keep the habits up. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing, isn't it? They, I think a lot of people um, took on these things with all the best intentions, but they were then kind of unable to maintain it. And it was, um, so yeah, a lot of the work we did around that was trying to encourage people to take bite-sized chunks at these things rather than you know saying right i'm gonna run 10k a day it's like no, no, no let's let's start somewhere achievable and, and keep it like that so first you avoid injuring yourself and overloading but secondly you're mentally more likely to keep it up some of us still run i can do 3k <laughs> <laughs> didn't i see it though Catherine? you actually started the new year by doing a 5k run i did I did, yeah. So we'd um, I'd had a lovely New Year's Eve day with the Button family. We had um, a couple of glasses of something nice and fizzy, a few nice bits of food. Um, but obviously the kids have then got bedtime. So I've come home, had a nice evening on FaceTime with my sister. And then it was she was tired. She's got a two-year-old. So um, she went to bed about 11. And yeah, by half 11, I thought, what am I going to do? Sit and watch Jules Holland? Or I'm a bit, you know, got a bit of energy. So I chuck on my running gear, all my warmest stuff, and went and did 6K. Madness. But what a way to start the new year. I thought, I'm ahead of everyone. I have run more in 2021 than anyone else has right now. So (laughs) anyone I know, anyway. 
Hey, did you guys get that Whoop update, you know, the wearable heart rate variability tracker? Uh, they have now included chiropractic as a something you can list in your daily activity uh, when doing your journal every morning. So for those who don't know, including uh, my good friend Tim, is that Whoop, which is uh, a fantastic well, activity and uh, he does have a small rest, is, uh, yeah, brilliant for all sorts of reasons that Craig will be able to give you more insights on. Um, it has included chiropractic as one of its measures to um, kind of formulate your day strain and look at your recovery. And so you can now um, kind of select that you have seen your chiropractor, you know, you've had your adjustment that day, and it will factor that into your recovery. And yeah, I was bowled over to see that this morning i'm gonna get one i'm gonna get one hey just think about all that worldwide data we're actually going to get of everyone recording their heart rate variability linked to uh their chiropractic visits it's just going to be amazing when they're using their app and hopefully we can confirm what we've been claiming for years of how much of a positive input it actually is to your nervous system to get an adjustment i know once they start collecting this data because obviously now it will it'll start from i'm assuming when i journal tomorrow morning i'll be able to select it so you've got to adjust me later um so i can include it but yeah you know give that a few months give that a few years the heart rate variability and the recovery measures that you'll be getting from that what an amazing piece of um of data and greg korchuk has spoken awful lot and he spoke at our conference back in october about artificial intelligence and how you know ai is going to be the future of really kind of meaningful big data this is going to be a fantastic addition to that. So, yeah, I really look forward to seeing how it's going to support kind of what we're doing and just give us some insight as to, right, when are people getting adjusted for a start? You know, what's the utilization across the world within that WOOP community anyway? And, yeah, the impact it has on strain and recovery will be fascinating. A little PhD for someone in the future, if you fancy it, Craig. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely all about uh, encouraging others to do the research. I'm not hugely <laughs> skilled at the research side of things myself. But yeah, all four would be amazing PhD to do for sure. But uh, look, anyway, guys, I've taken up enough of your time. This has been great. It's been cool having a little chat about all sorts of things. It's a pleasure. Thank well, you so much for thank, inviting us. Thanks for the, for the coffee. Lovely coffee. That is good coffee. <laughs> Having grown up in Ealing, not that far from where this is, I've you know I'm surprised I never never knew of it before now, but now I do. I'll be sending the family there too. Hey, thanks very much, Catherine and Tim, for joining us today. It's been super fun. Pleasure. Yeah, Thank you very much. Lots of fun. Thanks, Craig. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.